Welcome to Organics Unpacked, a podcast for the business-minded organic grower. An interview podcast where we hear from the top experts in the commercial organic industry with a focus on the business elements of organic growing both in and out of the field. You will gain insight and grow your operation. This show is brought to you ad-free by Ave Organics, a Wilbur Ellis company. To learn more about Ave Organics, visit our program notes. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. Welcome to a new episode of Organics Unpacked, a podcast where we discuss organic farming from a practical view. I'm your host, Tom Buman. Today, I have two guests, Don O'Brien and Kyle Anderson. Don operates a seed house in O'Neill, Nebraska, and Kyle is an organic farmer from Dyke, Iowa. Together, they're going to discuss a topic that fascinates me, the use of cover crops in organic farming. Don and Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thank Tom. you. Well, before we get started with the actual interview, I'm always interested in the background of people. And so, Kyle, can you give me a little background uh, on you, how you got here today? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I grew up on a farm in northeast Iowa there by Dyke. Um, grew corn and soybeans primarily, a lot of seed on both corn and soybean side. Um, we had hogs until about 2015 um, when we quit doing that and done cover crops since about 93-ish, um, mostly on seed corn acres, and then stepped in slowly to all of our acres. Um, so kind of always had a sustainability and um, you know, kind of value-added mindset uh, with that. Went to Iowa State. Um, out of that, out of Iowa State, I worked for um, Ag Leader First. Um, so I was on the data side, technology management. Um, then I worked for a consultant in Western Iowa for about six years um, after that, where we had our own software platform. And I did independent consulting. Um, so I did barrel rate seeding, fertilizer, that kind of stuff. I was, you know, your agronomist basically. Um, and our niche was we didn't sell any inputs at that time. So that kept me in the independent space. Um, after that, started a business with a few partners um, on the organic side of things where we helped farmers transition uh, to organic. And so then, you know, through that, I stepped in slowly to farming some acres in my own name through transition. Um, I call myself kind of a serial entrepreneur here in the last uh, few years. I've done a few other things as well. Um, and I have a cover crop business with uh, Don as well. And so expanding, looking to expand the Harvest Bounty brand into Iowa, basically. So those things kind of all play together. Great. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. How about you, Don? How, what brought you, what career path got you here today? Um, a little bit different than Kyle's. I uh, grew up in uh, South Central South Dakota on a small dairy farm. Uh, hog stuff, uh, unique, uh, growing up in the eighties. I think we all seen those challenges. Um, so kind of wily to some of the things that go on in life in that point, but, uh, graduated, uh, late eighties, um, went on to start managing a couple of co-ops in, uh, South Dakota, um, mainly in the South central part, but some in the Eastern side and, uh, Northern moved to, uh, Neal, Nebraska in 92. Uh, working for Farmland Industries at the time. Um, spent a lot of time in the agronomy part and the sales. We, as we were developing down there at Saul Center Pivot Irrigated, we started to, uh, me and a friend of mine started to notice the need for some alternative cropping. Um, so in 2005, uh, we started talking sincerely about it. In 2006, we took a leap of faith uh, we started a company called the Seed House. Um, 
lot of brutal years as we were getting it started. But um, we mainly focused on cereal rye, cover crops, small grains, and then mm-hmm. we also had a corn and soybean line. Um, about 2010, we started to see that business blow up pretty strong. Um, we actually uh, had a heck of a time staying caught up with the expansion progress that we needed to. Um, and in 2015, we sold to Wilbur Ellis. Uh, with that sale, it was uh, to help build us and help us get our expansion caught up. Um, and since then, um, we have taken on the harvest bonding line of cover crops, uh, small grains, and non-GMO corn and soybeans. So that has been, you know, probably unique for us, uh, what we've done there. Okay. So tell me about the seed house. Um kind of what what the origin is and what you specialize in so like i said the the origin of it when we started um we were strictly uh doing small grains cereal rye a little bit of oats but it was we were trying to fill some needs for some uh actually regional and national companies Um, we were growing the product in holt county nebraska and then shipping it out as we started that it was amazing the first second year that we started seed house we uh, ended up with a load of radish seed. No idea what we we're going to do with it. <laughs> Get it in there, and then the, two years later, we're buying three loads of radish seed. So it was a cover crop market that kept growing. Uh-huh. Um, we kept advancing with it. Um, we seen, you know, right now our inventory item list is probably around 400 products. And when you look at Harvest Bounty and the seed house, Harvest Bounty is strong nationally. Um, we got strong presence in a mature market in California. Um, then we also have the PNW and then all the way across the United States, as far east as Michigan and Arkansas. So we have a strong presence with that. And the seed house helps facilitate as much of that as possible. We do rely upon uh, people like Kyle who helps uh, sell our product and you know finds us the niche markets and stuff. Being especially with the organics, uh, that is a market that it's very important to the seed house and harvest bounty and Wilbur Ellis. Okay. So Kyle, tell, tell me about your operation. Uh, I understand that you're not fully organic. You might be part and part, but yeah. how, how's that operation look? Yeah. So for the most part, um, on, you know, kind of our own ground and some of the long-term lease ground, we've got, um, seed corn, seed bean rotation for the most part. Um, and so we'll do cover crop after, Seed corn, it's a unique crop. It comes off early. Um, it's not a big plant, so we don't have a lot of biomass there anyway. We, we started doing that early. Um, so we'll primarily rye usually with some winter annuals in there, depending on what the market looks like. Um, and then on so- the soybean year, we'll do something generally that winter kills, um, unless there's a program we're involved with or something that makes more sense um, that way. Then on our organic acres, um, what I've done is we've got Three pieces basically that are in transition. Um, this year we had first year organic corn, um, and on that piece that we when we when we took that corn off, we had triticale flown on, and that's going to be then it's going to be clover this spring. Hopefully here if the rain holds this week, we'll see if I can get some on, and then sorghum sudan grass probably the end of May depending on um, soil temperatures, uh, and then that will be grazed with cattle all year long, uh, and then next year that'll be corn again. And okay. so that's my planned rotation going forward. Uh, and a little bit about our operation. I've got enough other irons in the fire that I try to 
kind of pull things back as far as workload and that kind of stuff. Soybeans make sense uh, in an organic rotation, but I'm not there to babysit. So that's part of this, you know, cover crop kind of just takes pressure off of that rotation for us. Um, Operationally, also agronomically, we're going to have better corn next year because of that weed control from grazing all summer. So kind of every other year corn. Right. Okay. And that's how you plan to go forward too on your organic acres. Yep. On your conventional acres, yep. what's that look like? Is it traditional corn bean rotation? It, yeah, it's traditional corn and beans, and and we don't have very much what I would call conventional corn. Most of the product, really productive ground is seed acres, uh-huh. uh, and so that's a little bit dictated by how they want you to set things up sure. and, and where it is. You know, if it's adjacent to commercial corn or other fields, um, but that's yeah, that's primarily where our covers have been. So of all of your acres, what percent get cover crops on them? 100%. 100%. So 100%. you are knowledgeable of cover crops kind of in both systems. Mm-hmm. 100%. Right. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. So um, getting to some of the questions, um, how, how do you think, Kyle, does between your conventional acres, your more traditional acres, and your your organic, how does using cover crops differ between those two different systems? Yeah. So the biggest thing with, you know, any organic rotation is you have to think much more long-term and that's something that we're not used to, you know, growing up a conventional farmer, that's something we're not used to. We always have a silver bullet, right? We have Roundup, glyphosate, or we have some sort of seed trait, or we have something we can fly on in order to put out a fire that we have during the season. Um, And that's, something we don't have on the organic side. So it takes it takes way, way more setup and pre-planning. Uh, and you have to make sure that you know you're gonna fail sometimes, which we're not really used to. Even though we talk about the downsides of farming, we're not used to tilling up 160 acres of corn, uh-huh. but that happens if you don't get it right. Okay. So it's more about taking the things away that can go wrong and using some of that works for you, uh-huh. so. So, Don, I have a question. How popular are cover crops in organic systems? It, it seems maybe uh, to me that feels a little new, but how it's, is it? It's a necessity in the, okay. the organic world. Um, you know, the, the organic crop, we have uh, some great products in the, with the, you know, the nutrients that we have available through Aave, but uh, they also need to grow some of their own nitrogen. Uh-huh. And we're doing that with clovers legumes, uh, any sort of legume, whether it's clover, a bean, vetch, they're critical in the organic world. Okay. And so then, Don, does your, through your operation of the seed house, do you provide advice and consulting for people that are using cover crops in organic system and a conventional system as far as that goes? Yes. So we, at the seed house, we get to see both sides at a high level, conventional and the organic. Um, We've, we know that the organic world needs the cover crop. We're starting to see the conventional world um, come in and use it a little bit more actively. Maybe following the lead of what the organic people are doing, which seems backwards, but the traded people are watching. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You know, it's really cool to see how that has happened. So um, we keep looking at the, at the crops that are getting grown out there and we our expansion, you know, Five years ago, we'd see a little mustard out here. Now we're seeing more and more of it because of the nematode control. We got the cereal rye, which does a phenomenal job of weed control, whether it's on the you know the pigweed, the palmer, uh, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I mean, we got a lot of products. Do we have it all figured out? We absolutely do not, but we ha- can give a little bit, narrow it down, give a little bit better advice than okay. shooting from the hip all the time. 
And I think to Don's point, that's really important and something we don't have is resources as far as how to implement that stuff. Okay, what's my next step? I want to do this and how do I get there? And that's nice to have somebody like Don you can lean on because most people, your seed guy, somebody at the co-op, your banker, um, crop insurance person going down the line, they don't know anything about organics. So it's nice to have a resource and somebody that can help you put something in and step into that rotation the right way. Yeah. And every rotation, that's the one thing is different. Yep. Your, yours and your operation that's two miles away, your friend yep. is completely different. Totally different. It's always different. And it's, it's got to be able to listen and yep. follow the lead with yep. what they need. Interesting. Yeah. So Don, when you, when a farmer comes in and maybe they're new to cover crops and they're in an organic system, what's your recommendation for like what are the some of the best mixes they might use or where do you start and then how do you kill it if you don't have traditional herbicides like Roundup? So I, I think the one thing that we run into quite often uh, with some of our producers as they're starting into it, um, sometimes they read cover crop uh, literature, it's a farm magazine, and they're, you know, for us in uh, north central Nebraska, stuff that happens in Illinois and Iowa is not relevant. Yep. And I think there's stuff that happens out there that ain't relevant. Yep. And, you know, you look at North Dakota, which is a phenomenal state for Wilbur Ellis. They also have a uniqueness up there. But mm-hmm. um, I think you've got to listen to, look at the areas that they're in. But main complaints that we have when people who fail are when they follow a magazine for <laughs> Illinois and they try it North Central Nebraska. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it doesn't work, and they say, "Well, this cover crop thing ain't right." Mm-hmm. No, you got to listen to the local people, figure out what you need to do. Whether it's you, maybe you can't get away with a seven or nine way uh, yep. blend, but maybe a three way blend's way you need to go. Yep, and that's that's the important thing. Okay, just make sure you localize. You your localize your market. Yeah. Don't get yeah. caught up into the yeah. the regional or nationalization well of all the products. Yeah. yeah. So, Kyle, what are the biggest challenges in cover crops in your organic system? What, what do you think, uh, like, if you had to talk to somebody and tell them what your challenges are, what would those be? Sure. So I would say for the most part, it's the same challenges. We just have less tools, right? Okay. So as far as termination goes, we don't have the same amount of tools. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, yeah, the, the silver bullet kind of thing, we don't have something to just take this mess off the table. Um, and the downside that people aren't used to, you know, maybe if you plan on rolling and crimping some rye, you know, we're going to plan on once in a while, we're going to till up that acre of corn because we didn't get the right kill on the rye. We're not used to that on the conventional side. We're used to hitting it with another dose of herbicide or something like that. Um, and it's also, it's just much, a lo- it's a much longer term plan. You know, so when you're thinking about fixing in or getting a cover out there, you just have to think so much farther ahead. Right. Um, those would be the two main things. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I often hear from organic farmers that it's not even about this year. It's about years out. Like That's you right. can't just decide to get up one day and say, I'm going to plant soybeans instead of corn right. because you have to be in this rotation. You have to be managing yep. it. So in your organic system, on on those times when things go wrong and you might be out there tilling it up when you don't expect to, is that typically something that just happens because of mother nature or is it something you typically missed it's generally, yeah, it's either, it's generally mother nature or it's your own management and timing, okay. you know? So with the rye example, if you're planning on rolling, it has to be perfect at that boot stage. And not only this plant in the corner, but every plant in the field, 
has to be at that exact stage. Yeah. And so if we try to roll it and half of it wasn't that way, then we only get half of a kill. And if the corn is, you know, there, then that half the field's not going to come up. And so we have issues then. We either need to till it up or change directions, chop it or something different. Okay. Yeah. Timing window is huge. But it's, you guys have to pull off in such a And that's time. something, talking about the uniqueness in different regions, that's what's nice. In Don's area, they could turn the water on and off. That's for us generally moisture is an issue. It's either, you know, generally it's too wet to get it in or right. it's too wet to terminate. Right. Or it's dry enough to terminate and then you get a rainstorm and you can't plant for, you know, 10 right. days. So right. timing that way too, even if you do get a good kill, yeah. um, you might lose some bushels there. So Don, I was going to ask you like what cover crops you recommend, but what I hear you saying is it depends on the area. But tell, tell me what thought process you go through like to decide for an organic farmer how to recommend a, a seed variety for them. Like what, what type of things do you take into consideration? I think a lot of the times, and Kyle, I don't want you to jump in at any sure. point, but when we start doing the, the recommendations, um, so you take Kyle, for instance, he has corn every other year with a cattle cycle in between or a forage crop. Mm-hmm. We got guys who will do a corn, a small grain, and then try coming back in with a soybean or another grain crop. So each of those guys have different unique needs in the nutrient cycle. And then also, depending on whether they have nutrients available to them, whether it's manure or whatever. I think that's a big thing. If they have livestock involved, that changes the game in a big way. In a huge way. Or having access to that. So so I'd like to tell you that a lot of times we're using a cereal, some type of cereal. We're using a a vetch or a clover. using a bean pea but it changes so much those would probably be our core components that we're using but it's always a cereal and a a legume of some sort but it really varies per operation there is no all the cover crops that we do we don't have a blend just sitting there that hey this fits you and you and you and you we don't have that we custom blend each and every one according to the needs. And I think it's different back to the regionality, you know, difference. There's some cost share programs that are very unique to the county and to the state. And Don and I talk about that all the time where, you know, based on incentives, it may or may not make sense for somebody to do it. Um, And so for me, a lot of times it's whatever, let's use that cost share and let's use something to get you to baby step into it and see how you like it. Let's make sure we don't fail year Mm -hmm. one. And then let's add to it as we keep going. Okay. So do the incentive programs that you talk about, are they generally flexible enough to allow a producer to put on what they need? Or are they kind of um, pretty static and saying, you have to put on this at this rate? It depends where we're at. It depends where they're at. I think for the most part, they're usually it's very wanting to make it work. Yeah, it seems like it. And I know in some of the places that, you know, like around Don's area, they've got requirements where you have to have multi-species. In my area, a lot of the watersheds we're in don't have multi-species. So okay. they'll just say you need to have X pounds of oats or rye okay. um, for the most part. But they do allow for multiple species if you want to do that? Right. Okay. Yep. They just don't require it okay. usually, right. which is the, that's the main difference between our right. two areas. But. So, Don, it must be a challenge, um, your agronomists on staff making recommendations. I mean, all of us ag kids are traditionally from a corn bean traditional thing. We go through our land grant college. We're trained in that. How do you choose agronomists that work on your staff that can help people like Kyle make decisions? 
You know, it's uh, as a, as an employer, you never want to have someone who's traveled a lot as an employee. But uh, when I look at my pathway of being in South Central South Dakota with the sorghums, the wheat, going into North Central South Dakota with the sunflowers, the safflowers, and being an agronomist, you get to see all those things. And so sometimes you want to have that agronomist that has actually been part of all those crops, actually growing them rather than reading about them. And mm-hmm. So that's who we look for. That's mm-hmm. what, that's the type of person we want. Um, and the other person we want, someone like, like Kyle, who's very dedicated to what he does, loyal to what he does. And uh, I don't know, a lost art sometimes, but uh, someone who wants to make everyone around him better. Okay. So we're, we're fortunate that those are the type of people we look for. Do you, do you have uh, agronomists that specialize in organic cover crops or do you kind of everybody have the same basis? Right now we were all kind of on the same basis. Um, you know, as far as agronomists on staff, we are, are very limited. Um, we have a good sales team. Uh-huh. You know, I would call us more of a sales team than an okay. agronomist. Um, so, but uh, very well-rounded. Um, and we do a tremendous amount of the forage crops also. So our, our customer base is rather huge okay. and continues to grow. But, um, you know, I, I would say that uh, we do want someone who's well-rounded anymore okay. than seeing a lot of these crops. Because okay. we are, you start looking at four or 500 inventory items that you choose from yeah right overwhelming yeah. <laughs> wow. so kyle on your farm um what are the real benefits of doing cover crop in your organic system what are the what are the real drivers that make you want to do cover crops in your organic system so there would be three main things one would be weed control okay right we want ground coverage out there when right. you know in the fall early spring Two would be tillage, which kind of goes hand in hand with weed control. Right. Less tillage if we have better weed control. Right. And then third would be um, fixing nitrogen primarily, but other nutrients and building organic matter. Okay. So building the soil up in that rotation. And so depending, you know, if we're going to soybeans or something that, or coming after soybeans going to corn or something that needs some N, you know, that might be a place to put in that kind of cover sure. crop. But, um Either way, regardless, if we're coming in front of soybeans, we want to be building organic matter, conserving nutrients, controlling weeds. So I assume a real challenge would be the combination of organic farming, no-till, and cover crops. Yes. And how do, I mean, obviously cover crops have always been a part of organic farming, but how do you, then do you incorporate no-till yeah. into that? So I think, yeah, it takes, you know, a crimper or something like that. Um, and I would argue that, you know, I'm currently no-till every other year. Okay. We're not tilling after my corn crop until, again, until that next corn crop. Right. Um, so, and I'm trying to do that from a labor standpoint more than anything. Right. Um, but that helps, yeah, take some pressure off. Where if you're doing corn and soybeans with tillage every other year, there's just so much more pressure on that um, on that rotation. I think a roller is a big, um, important piece. I've seen a lot of guys and I've helped a lot of guys do that really well. I've also helped a lot of guys look at some really sad corn and watch them get to disc out. So, <laughs> and some of them in Don's area even, <laughs> and that's not a fun conversation. So being realistic about uh, the fact that you're going to fail, I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's huge. Yeah. Factor. And even just with conventional cover crops, it's the same thing. I would, I would give the same advice, step into something, you know, and works well for you and then slowly step that up as you continue. Okay. 
um, as far as labor and your operation goes. Okay. Yeah. So Don, I know that um, it depends, right? I've learned that where you're at and what your operation is. But if you had to recommend a system that is least likely to fail, where you're using cover crops and an organic system, what is it? What does that look like? What's you know? So when I watch people step into organics as they transition, the, the probably the most important thing that they can do, and it doesn't involve me, is they reach out to a Kyle. They reach out to someone already doing it, mm-hmm. sharing those accidents or those brave moments that uh, turned into <laughs> a disaster. But I think if you get someone who uh, can communicate with you and the one thing in the organic world, I've never seen a group so willing to share so much information. Right. I yeah. mean, no one likes to share hardships. And you, I think that's changed do. in the last few years even more so. It's yeah. been even better than it. No one likes to talk about hardships. But you you guys have no problem in yep. sharing. And you don't want to see the next guy do that. So that's your first step. And then once you get that done, I mean, then there's got to be goals. You know, there's there's goals for economic return. And then there's goals for sustainable passing the land off you know what what's your true goal and then once we get that we can we can build around that rather quick economics always important i mean that's always in the bottom line but it does uh, the sustainable part seems to resonate with a few there's an age group there that that's that's their yeah, goal definitely i think that's important to know what what the farmer's goal is yep. in, in order to do that. Cause you take two, 2000 acre growers and they have entirely different, different goals, different goals. I don't know if I answered your question, no. there, but that, yeah. that's how I would portray yeah. it to get started with. So organic growers, um, I know the last year has been more of a challenge getting groups of people together, but mm-hmm. when you think before that and in the months to come, how can somebody learn more about organic? Like, what are the the mechanism? Are there field days? Are there like how would you kind of link people together to get a more information on using cover crops, using no-till and organics, just transitioning to organics? What yeah, are the- and there's there's quite a few resources out there. Companies that help would help you transition and put that plan together. There are um, you know input companies and a lot of people that. Uh, Put on field days and different resources, things like that. I would I would separate those into two categories, and one would be we're here for business reasons, and the other one would be we're here just because we want to be. Mm-hmm. And so I would, if I'm a farmer, I would put myself into one of those two camps and try to separate all the resources in that way, okay. um, because those are two very different camps. And I think also if you've got somebody like Don in your area, lean on them hard. Say, what do we do? Who else do you have around that's done it? What can I see? Because you want that localized um, knowledge. You know, you can go to the Moses uh, deal in Wisconsin. They're doing different things than we're doing. And some of that's helpful and that's great. But you need to be able to ground truth it to what your soils and what your area is like. And that ground truth is something that it does, uh, I think, through all the, the passion and the movement and everyone know struggling to be stay caught up but that ground truth and is one of the most important things it's really important whether it's your row crop whether it's how we evaluate our cover crop even logistics right would yep. you have somewhere to deliver it do you have some way to get seed yep. do you have a way to get nutrients on your farm you know everything There's, it's a big gap yep. that we got to fill in there okay. yeah so don selling cover crop seed if anybody hears complaints about it i'm sure you do yep. what are the top <laughs> complaints 
that you get uh, and uh, about any cover crops in an organic system? I think uh, when I when I look at the complaints um, that I, I've uh, had to deal with, um, getting the product, you know, in August and then seeding it in October, November, that's usually a complaint, even though they had it plenty of time. You know, seeding date is important. Um, I think another thing that I run into quite often is on the multi-species blends, you know, a seven, nine-way mix. Um, you know, it might have a cereal grain in there, but they go out and they seed it at a at seeding depth for cereal rye instead of the rest of the components. Mm-hmm. And you end up having three or four components come up instead of the seven. Right. So seeding depth is really important um, that we run, we run into that quite often. And then I think sometimes we run into uh, expectations. Um, you know, when a cover crop, uh, we're seeding for, you know, anywhere from 17 to 35 pounds. It's not a solid seed. You know, it's it's a cover crop. Yep. And sometimes there are expectations uh, once it starts coming up that they just expect it to be a carpet out there. Right. And, you know, honestly, that's not what we want. We want the ground to be covered, but mm-hmm. we want, you know, right. uh, nutrient builds in there. Sure. It's sustained. So, mm-hmm. okay. yeah. So, Kyle, a couple of us heard this term planting green. Sure. Right. What yep. is, what does that, what does that mean to you? So, that would be, for me, that means you would plant into a cover crop and then terminate it after you plant it. Okay. So, um, you kind of keeping a green carpet. Correct. And then, depending on the crop, hopefully that lays over. And depending on what your cover was as well, hopefully that lays over and leaves a mat or mulch for. Mm-hmm you know, the time being until it deteriorates. Right. Yeah. And I know you have a real interest in soil health. Yes. Talked about the soil health as aspects of, of starting with organics, adding in cover crops, adding in no-till, yeah. like what are you seeing on your farm? So for the most part, you know, we started doing covers on our soy or our sea corn ground, like in 93, something like that. And mm-hmm. so if you went out in that field, then you would see that rye the following year, um, with soybeans, you would see that rye and that organic matter be there for a very long time. And, you know, after 4th of July, almost August sometimes. Um, and we've done that rotation for a long time. What we've seen is that now you go out in that field on the 4th and there is no rye left, none to be seen. And so, you know, you got to keep juicing that system up. And so what, what we need to do is have a living plant there as much as possible. Uh-huh. Um, and that helps you know, from a compaction standpoint, organic matter, we always want to build, but it mostly helps with nutrient cycling so that you're always having those nutrients release as you go through the year. Um, so I think that's, that's what I'm pushing towards, uh, is to try to have a living root as many months of the year as we can. Okay. Yeah. So I have to ask this kind of one thing is, so a lot of interest in carbon sequestration, storing carbon and getting yeah. farmers paid for it. Yeah. Good thing or bad thing? I think it's a great thing. I just think we need we don't have it all figured out yet. Okay. So this is similar to the oil and gas industry that did the same thing where they would, you know, the oil and gas industry would buy credits in order to offset their carbon footprint. Very, very similar. Uh, I just, I haven't decided for sure what camp we need to be in. Um, so there's kind of two, you know, there's one, which is a carbon cooperative, basically a marketplace. And there's several companies out there doing that. I think that's great. Uh, a lot of those are, our long-term commitments at this point. And I don't think we understand enough about measuring that carbon for me to want to jump into that today. Uh Now I think 
probably by the middle of summer or something like that, we're going to kind of have our ducks in a row. Some of those companies are going to go by the wayside. A few of them will have it figured out. And I think there'll be a good opportunity to capture some stuff there. Um, and the other camp is just paying you for basically practices that you're doing that we know sequester carbon. Right. And so that's kind of been the camp that I've been in so far while slowly watching kind of the carbon cooperative thing. Right. Just to know, you know, when the time is right. And, and mostly it's just trying to understand how you measure it. And the other side is a lot of guys that like, you know, that Don and I work with have been doing covers and sustainable things for a long time. And a lot of those carbon cooperative companies measure the change. Right. So somebody who's done it since 1990 or right. whatever, we don't understand enough yet about how to capture the work that you've already done. Right. And we want to make sure we credit that. Right. You know, capturing yeah. Yeah. it. Yep. It is always hard to kind of decide how far back you're going to go right. and kind right. of capture credits. And there are a few companies out there that will pay you for prior practices and things. But again, record keeping and those, that kind of stuff Huge. is. Yep. Yep. Big thing. 20 yeah. years ago, that wasn't a thought. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't right. think about it then. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to be respective of your time, but in the last few minutes, Don, if you had two minutes with a farmer and you were sitting at the kitchen table, what would you tell them about the seed house and harvest bounty to capture their attention and why should they be calling you? I think I would lead with the fact that, uh, you know, we are a strong company that uh, we have every aspect of the organic. Um, with Ave, we have a availability of the manure for applications. We have all the cover crops. We have the knowledge. Um, we have a great workforce. Um, we have great sales team um, outside of our existing footprint with people like Kyle. And uh, we all communicate with each other. And we, when we're communicating, we're communicating for the sake of our customer, not the sake of the company. Okay. And Kyle, if you had two minutes of farmer, why should a farmer go with organics? Why should they transition if if they're doing a conventional system now? Sure. I guess I kind of see the way that um, agriculture is going. I think scale is going to be really important. And capital is not that available for somebody, you know, maybe under 45, that kind of age bracket right now. Um, and so if you're looking for a way to expand, that doesn't mean buying ground. This is a way to expand economically to build your soil. Um, but that also doesn't mean it's right for every acre. Mm -hmm. Right. So think about it strategically in that way. You want your rotation the right way, but this is an opportunity instead of becoming a seed dealer, putting up a hog building, whatever that might be, this might be the opportunity to bring your son home, right? Because you can make more money off of that acre that you've got and be better for your soil. And, and it just takes some pressure off of the, off of the whole rotation. Right. Yeah. Well, Kyle, Don, thanks for being a guest today in Organics Impact. Um, we want to thank the listening audience for another listening to another episode of the, the podcast. And be sure to tune in every week when we unpack another facet of organic farming. Drop us a note if you have a topic that you'd like to cover and or if you'd have a specific guest you'd like to hear from. So thank you guys again. Thank you, Thanks, Tom. Tom. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Organics Unpacked. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and giving this show a five-star rating and review so we can continue to help organic growers improve their operations.